sadness is in the air around the Lollygaggers podcast. The type of sadness that only comes after the loss of celebrity heroes. We persevere nonetheless. On this episode, Justin returns to superheroes with Mr. Miracle, while Jeff gets caught up in the hilarious poignancy of Russian Doll. For the gentleman's challenge, Justin feels intellectually inferior to Velvet Buzzsaw, while Jeff marvels at Ron Perlman's grace in Beauty and the Beast. Welcome to episode number 46 of the Lollygaggers podcast, a show about all sorts of different things, from comics to games, movies to TV. I am one of your hosts, Jeff. I'm the other one, Justin. How's it going, man? It's terribly. It's going terribly. Oh, that's yeah. nice. I am super freaking sad today. So we're recording on Monday. This is uh, March 4th. Good old Luke Perry passed away today. Uh, I'm very sad. Like, you sent me a text. I was at work, and you're like, I'm sorry for your your Riverdale loss, because I'm a huge fan of Riverdale, and he plays he plays Fred, which is Archie's father on Riverdale, and he's very, very good. Uh, but I thought, like, maybe Riverdale got canceled, and so then I checked the news, and it was like Luke Perry died, and I'm like, oh, God, that's, like, way worse. Uh, but, yeah, it's super sad, super sad. So uh, He died, so, and the lead singer of Prodigy died today. It's a rough day. Also, last week, uh, uh, what's uh, Catherine Hellman, uh, who was Monon, who's the boss, died. So I think is that the trilogy? I think that's the trilogy, right? That's the three. That's it. That's they it. Coming three. I mean, it's like the everybody top else tier of, of actors went. So listen, I think I I think the world of Luke Perry. I think Luke Perry. Uh, he played one of literally the coolest characters on television ever, uh, and he also was uh, I think the underrated uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie from the early nineties. Uh, he was in, uh, and he was very good in that as well. And I think he's been great on uh, on Riverdale. So I don't know how they're gonna write him out of Riverdale. I hope they they do some sort of nice tribute. Uh, but that sucks, yeah, man. So this one goes out to Luke Perry. I don't know if we should ever dedicate that because I don't. I mean, like our stuff's terrible uh, by comparison to. He was an he's avid listener. Avid listener. So I don't. I don't think that's. I don't think that's true. But anyway, just know that we, in all honesty, very sad. Uh, I was a big fan of dylan mckay on beverly hills 90210 uh, and so he will be missed so let's uh let's let's turn to justin then to cheer me up justin what have you been doing this week so i decided to read a comic and it's been a long time since i've read like a superhero comic and i've been waiting on this one because i'm a fan of tom king when he's not dealing with batman so that's when i like tom king Tom King is he the guy who did? Uh, he was the one who did the uh, what's it called? The Catwoman Batman. Yeah, wedding? he he did, he did yeah. the Bat Wedding. Um, however, he also did one of my favorite comics of all time, uh, Vision. He did a Vision comic. Um, what he does a really good job of is taking these larger than life weird characters and putting them in a more realistic way. The only person he didn't do that with. Is Batman because Batman is a little more realistic, I guess. I guess that's the only thing. Anyways, Batwedding sucked, but this Mister Miracle is great. So it came out in 2017. It's a 12 issue comic. I've been waiting for the uh, like the actual volumes to come out because I've heard fantastic things. So Mister Miracle is a character that I'm not familiar familiar with at all. Um, so basically, have you heard of the new guys? Did you ever watch the old uh, Justice League cartoon where it had like Dark Side and uh, All Father and all this, all this stuff? High Father. <clears throat> so, basically, the idea. I the, can't contribute. I'm very sorry. Okay, so uh, in this comic, 
they do a really good you don't have to know anything because they do a really good sum up of what the new gods are who mr miracle is and where it comes from so basically mr miracle um is the son of high father so a long time ago the gods uh were so enthralled in war that they killed each other and then the new gods emerged when the new gods emerged they then found themselves finding you know uh trying to murder each other as well. Darkseid looking for the anti-life equation and Highfather trying to stop him from doing that. When they got, when it got so bloody and ridiculous that they thought it was going to end up just like the old gods, they decided on a truce. The truce was that they were to exchange sons. And when they were exchanged sons, Highfather were to ra- were, was to raise Darkseid's son and Darkseid was to raise Highfather's son. So Highfather's son is Mr. Miracle, or Scott Free is what he was called when he grew up in in uh, apocalypse and orion is high father's son who's really dark side's son so that became kind of like a hostage situation for kind of a, a ceasefire so this story takes place way later he's known as the man who can escape anything his wife's name scott free um the reason why he was given that name is because when he was a child he escaped apocalypse to end up on earth and so if he can escape Apocalypse, he's a master of, of escape. And so <clears throat> what this story is about, it basically opens up with him trying to kill himself. He ends up slitting his wrist and goes to the hospital for attempted suicide. Um, and his thing was he's escaped everything. He was trying to escape death as well. Because what this book focuses on is post-traumatic, post-traumatic stress, uh, child abuse, and dealing with the the uh, a, a poor uh, beginning of your life, so the idea is when he was raised on Apocalypse, he was tortured as a child to try and be raised like all the children in Apocalypse, all the kids, um, by Granny Goodness. Granny Goodness is like Apocalypse's number one. She helps raise all the people in the entire uh, planet and also build soldiers and stuff like that. Mr. Miracle was abused as a child. He was dealt with horribly and he was basically, you know, given up by his father to go to hell. And so what this comic does is a fantastic kind of like uh, retelling of the story in a way that makes it very human. He ends up marrying a woman from Apocalypse who eventually uh, defects from the the Apocalypse world and dark side. Her name's uh, Big Barda and him and her are, are in love and it's it's very uh really cool how they show their relationship in this and so basically the whole story is how is he dealing with the traumatic stress he's gone through his entire life uh it's kind of like a elseworld story because it doesn't really exist in real continuity because in this story he he his uh high father dies orion takes over orion's not really the son of high father um he hates orion and now he has to then kind of like take the mantle all stuff there's a lot of stuff that goes on but it's, it's it's a 12 comic thing and it's a really well concise story and i loved it the the story is really tight and and, and interesting some of the best ways they show a lot of the um stories is he becomes the major general and high father and fights against the armies of dark side and while he's fighting against these people doing awful things he's having conversations with his wife like normal conversations you'd have with your wife over a uh, uh, like a, they call it mother boxes, but it's like basically like a, a cell phone type of thing. And so what he did a really great job is kind of like showing these two worlds of utter chaos mixed with the somewhat utter chaos of a home life and showing how, you know, 
there's stress in almost anything that you do. And it's a really cool mirror of what it's like to go through such pain and such such torture through a young life and then how it kind of translates further on in your own. So that mixed with the uh, uh, illustration of Mitch Ger- uh, Gerard's, it's unbelievable. Um, I-, I love the colors, um, the <clears throat> almost psychedelic feel to it sometimes because anytime like high father anytime high father or orion or dark sides mentioned it's almost like a tv screen that's wavering because of of misconnection and so it's just the art is just phenomenal um the way they kind of tell the story the the emotion captured in the faces um it's just truly a a, a beautiful beautiful book and it, the story is great tom king really i think is uh, dropping the ball with Batman. But when it comes to these larger-than-life characters that no one really knows about, because people really don't know about the Vision. People don't know about Mr. Miracle. He does a really great job of like bringing him back down to Earth and making him more of a realistic, relatable character, um, which is hard to do with these ridiculous... Like, this guy's a god, and so how do you make this guy who's a god relatable to people who, who read it? And they did a fantastic job of showing, like, you know, his wife gets pregnant and, you know while that's happening his like his home his home world is being uh dominated by apocalypse so it's like it's a really interesting way of how he shows like your life can go through these turmoils and how you go through it with the one that you love and and all stuff like that so it's it's a really great book um it got the uh what was it the it got a couple of awards last year um and uh i just really can't praise it enough I don't read a lot of comic books that are superhero-based anymore, but I heard it was good, and when I read it, I don't regret it. It's a really, really great read. Uh, so again, it's Mr. Miracle by Tom King, uh, and the illustrator is Mitch uh, Gerards. So uh, I highly suggest you pick it up if you're interested in reading anything like that at all. So yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, so I did not do any reading this past week other than uh, reading I do for work, which is uh, not podcast appropriate. Uh, I watched a television show on Netflix. Uh, my wife and I, we got into a show called Russian Doll on Netflix, which is getting immense reviews, uh, and I think deservedly so, because it's one of the best uh, television series I've watched over the past uh, few years. Uh, it's an eight-episode TV series. It was created by Natasha Leone, uh, who also stars as the lead character, and Amy Poehler and Leslie Hedlund. Uh, Leone plays Nadia Volvokov. I think I got that right. Volvokov. Yeah. Nadia. Let's just call her Nadia. Uh, she is a video game designer who lives in New York City. Uh, she's 36, and she gets caught up in a Groundhog Day-style loop. So if you remember the movie Groundhog Day with Bill Murray, uh, he was basically reliving the same day over and over again. And the exact same thing, well, not quite the exact same thing, but something very similar happens to Nadia and where she's forced to relive her 36th birthday, which is a very significant birthday in her life. Um, It's a loop that resets whenever she dies, uh, as just like Groundhog Day. But unlike Groundhog Day, she can kind of stay alive for a while. And so she can actually go into the next day or something like that. And it's not a full on like it just doesn't reset every time she falls asleep or every, you know, it's she has to actually die. Uh, And she dies quite often and sometimes hilariously so uh, because this is very much a black comedy or a dark comedy, whatever you want to call it. Uh, And she most frequently dies to a set of stairs outside of her friend's apartment, which she (laughs) she just keeps getting knocked down in in sort of really strange ways and becomes very funny. Uh, But that's even though the show is very much 
a comedy. There's also very there's a great deal of poignancy, uh, which is which is great. Uh, it's an eight episode series. I have no idea if there is a second season in the works. Uh, that would be kind of a curious uh, thing to, to try to accomplish, considering how it ends. Uh, now, Nadia eventually discovers through the course of repeating the same day over and over again that she is not the only person who is suffering in such a loop. Uh, and she eventually runs into a fellow by the name of Alan, uh, who is played by Charlie Barnett. And they they get into an elevator together and they they get in the elevator together. They're going up to see. Like they're, they don't know each other at that point. And then the elevator begins to plunge and crash. And everybody else in the elevator is all freaking out. And they're both like super calm. And they both look at each other like, wait, aren't, aren't you? Uh, aren't you worried? This, this, uh, this elevator's going to crash. You're going to die. And the guy's like, yeah, I die all the time. No big deal. And they eventually track each other down. Uh, and so Alan, much like Nadia, he's reliving the same day. It's, and it's the same like calendar day, too. It's not like they're separate days. So they're constantly reliving that same sort of 24-hour period, except where she is constantly sh- like like restarting or her loop is restarting in the bathroom of her friend's apartment during her birthday party. He is constantly reliving his breakup with his longtime girlfriend, so it's not necessarily as fun for him to do that. Not that it's always very fun uh, for Nadia either. Now, I said that the show takes place in New York City, uh, so it has a very diverse cast of uh, incredibly quirky characters that come in and out uh, over and over again. Um, there is Ruth, uh, who I liked quite a bit. Ruth um, is sort of like a mother figure. She was um, a friend of Nadia's uh, of Nadia's mother when they were younger, and Nadia's mother is a very uh, important part of like her her introspection and reflection over the course of the series because her mother, um, at around the same age, I think it was thirty six, um, she we see in like one brief clip this notion that she was very manic, um, and Nadia begins to wonder if she herself needs to be committed uh, because she's thinking that she might be going you know to be colloquial about it crazy right. Um, and Ruth plays like the friend that ends up sort of being her mother, her, her kind of the mother figure in some fashion. She's she's fantastic. Um, Yol Vasquez, um, who I've seen in a bunch of things lately because he was in um, he's in the uh, the Chris Pine movie. I am the night or excuse me, the Chris Pine TNT show. I am the night. He's in that. He's one of the, like, the crooked cops. Um, and so he's been in a couple other things as well recently. But he plays like her ex-boyfriend. She kind of contributed to the breakup of his marriage. And then she wasn't able to kind of stick it out and actually have a longer relationship with him because she, you know, that he has a kid. And so that she has to sort of examine, like, what was her role in it? Why was she not willing to do this? And so by constantly reliving this day and running into these people over and over again, she really has to, like, consider, like, who am I? What am I doing? Why am I, you know, why is this happening? Now, as the the show progresses, and it's only eight episodes, and each episode is like 20 to 30 minutes long. So it's fairly quick to the point where I actually wish there was more. Um they're both looking for ways, both Alan and Nadia are looking for ways to break the loop. Okay. So it's not just them trying to kill themselves in different ways. Um, they honestly don't try to do that. They're trying to stay alive and safe as long as possible. And they're trying to understand why are they connected? Like, what's the point of that? Why is it just the two of them and nobody else? Uh, and they're trying to understand what's happening. And this re- requires them at the beginning. It was it's very funny, but over the course of the actual show, it gets kind of sad and the rules begin to sort of evolve with the loop. So it's not just the same thing over and over again. Something's something's changing each time. There's like this little tracking of things from time to time. We start watching like, 
uh, like fruit begins to like rot in front of them, in front of their faces. And there's little little tiny bits here and there that you're trying to wonder exactly what's what's happening. So they're forced to look at their lives. They're forced to look at how they deal with people, how they handle relationships, the skeletons they have in their own closets, uh, that type of thing. Uh, I think the show really explores the concept of mental illness in a way that um, is both I think both respectful, but at the same time, um, sobering to some degree, like Alan has an immense amount of, I would say, OCD and d depression to some degree. And that's something that he has to navigate. And he has to, as, as we're starting to learn a little bit about him and about his relationship and about his friends, like what role has that played and how he's connected with other people and how other people treat him, um, which is very interesting because it makes him start to realize like should he take responsibility for more things or is it you know the things that he can control should he start to control them a little bit better etc um there's a there's kind of a mystery feel to it at times it gets kind of spooky um here and there and that, when i say spooky i just mean like there's some eerie moments um because you're trying to figure out what's going on there's a uh, there's this recurring character who is a homeless man named horace who i think has just steals some ep some of these episodes like when he shows up and he's in certain scenes he's fantastic um, there is a song that will get caught in your head when you watch this uh, TV show. It's a, uh, it's, I think it's Harry Milson's or Harry Nilsson's, uh, gotta get up. It's just like peppy two and a half minute song. That's constantly playing over and over again. And in the beginning of the series, we're, we're frequently hearing it whenever a loop resets. Uh, but ultimately it just sort of becomes almost like the, uh, the soundtrack or the major soundtrack, even though this, the actual soundtrack for the show is fantastic. Uh, but this particular song uh, specifically is sort of emblematic uh, especially if you start diving into the history of the actual guy who wrote uh, the song itself. Now, I think Russian Doll, like it doesn't, it, it handles, it handles most, I think most of his topics really, really well, like really soberingly. Uh, but at the same time, it's very fun. It's very funny. It's very light. Uh, but then it starts to get deeper and darker. And I think that's sort of the point, right? Is that some, to some degree, Nadia is kind of cursing, you know, is like coasting along and never quite diving too deeply with certain people or certain relationships. She has friends, sure, but there's certain things in her past that she doesn't like to really look at too too longly. And if anyone ever brings them up, she immediately kind of hides from them or she, she tries to, you know, she tries to change the subject or she just pushes people away if they ever push too far or dig too deeply. Uh, and so it's interesting how the over the course of the of the series it, it begins sort of light and funny in a very dark way, but then it starts to get more real and more sobering throughout as you start to figure out well, this is why these pe you know these people are, are broken in some way, um, and they're trying to kind of piece together their lives. They're trying to figure out some sort of connections to each other. So I think even though it's quite funny, much like you know, much like a Groundhog Day was, I do feel like there's poignancy to this particular show that Groundhog Day never really had. Like that was still very light, lighthearted. And it really never, even though there were a handful of moments in that, that movie that were kind of, oh, okay, like he's learning something. I think Russian Doll does it way better. Uh, I think the characters are more realistic. I think the setting is more realistic. I think the way in which they handle certain certain situations and issues is far more interesting. So it's eight episodes. It's on Netflix, if I didn't mention that already. Uh, it started, I think it released uh, early February, 1st or 2nd of February. And so it's been up there for a couple weeks now. Uh, I am not the only one who's reviewing this quite well. It's got very high Rotten Tomatoes ratings and it is being uh, highly praised. So if you have any interest in like kind of these dark comic type shows or, or movies and you like things that are that have some depth to it this is a fantastic show and i could not recommend it more highly uh it's russian doll uh, go watch it very good all right okay and on that uh i think it's time that just and i are gonna go challenge each other to be better men impossible and now it's time 
for the gentleman's challenge. The Gentleman's Challenge is a segment we do here on the Lollygaggers podcast where Justin and I like to give each other homework assignments. These homework assignments usually involve watching a TV show or a movie, playing a game, reading a comic, and then to ensure that we completed said homework, we come back on the next episode and we quiz each other about it. We should warn you right now that all the topics that we cover during this gentleman's challenge are spoiler heavy. So if there's if you haven't had time to watch the 1987 classic CBS television show Beauty and the Beast, uh, you definitely want to go on the Amazon and watch that before hearing me talk about it. And if you haven't had time to you know watch the brand new Netflix movie that Justin's going to talk about, uh, you definitely want to wait until after you've watched that movie to listen to this particular segment. On that note, Justin has already volunteered graciously, like the gentleman he is, to go first. So, Justin, uh, why don't you tell the folks what you were assigned? I was assigned Velvet Buzzsaw by Dan Gilroy. Um, it stars a plethora of uh, well-known actors, which is interesting to me. You have Jake Gyllenhaal, Renee Russo, Zawe Ashton. You have Tony Collette, Natalia Dyer, who was uh, the older sister in Stranger Things. You have John Malkovich and Billy, Billy Magnuson, who was the brother from that, uh, what was the name of that movie with uh, Jonah Hill and Emma Stone? Jonah Hill and Emma Stone. Oh, the Maniac? Is it Maniac? Yeah, he, was, yeah. he played the brother on Maniac. I had such a hard time trying to think, where have I seen this guy before? And I looked up like, okay, it's the brother from Maniac, the one who was like, he thought he had a, a, a secret brother that was a, a secret spy or whatever. Anyways, to sum up this film, I hate it. But let's talk more about it, I guess. <laughs> That's not a summary of the film. That's an evaluation of the film. Oh, assessment. my God. Okay, so basically, it's like a horror slasher for affluent douchebags. And uh, I... <sighs> The point of the film is Jake Gyllenhaal. You are so judgmental, sir. Like so judgmental. I, the only thing that made me happy was the tail end of this movie. Anyways, so Jake Gyllenhaal is an art critic. Rene Russo is a like a, an art manager and uh, producer. Uh, and Zawe Ashton, who plays Josephina, uh, is one of her assistants. Tony Collette is also another like a competing person to Rene Russo. John Malkovich pay, plays an artist. Natalia Dyer, she plays one of the assistants and like uh, people that work with Rene Russo. And so the story is there's this, uh, Rene Russo runs this uh, art show and she's displaying different art. And the first 30 minutes of this movie is such pretentious bullshit. I can't take it. It just hurts my head how just awful these people are. I'm sure it was meant to be that way, but it made it so I hated every single person that said any single word in this film. I hated it so much. And so that's where I got kind of lost because I understand there's a reason for it, but I also think it's kind of the director himself off a little bit with this too. I couldn't stand it. It just, anyways, so uh jake Gyllenhaal are you upset to... because you didn't understand anything that they were so many big about? words so many big words <laughs> so uh jake Gyllenhaal comes to the show to kind of uh rate people's art because he's a he's a critic uh and in the process they realize that there's this new guy who's on the scene and uh they're you know that guy's getting poached by uh um tony collette's uh like i guess show house or production group and so uh, Zawe Ashton, who's like Rene Russo's partner, uh, is kind of uh, 
panicking as to what they can do to try and like keep in competition. When she heads back up to her apartment, she notices an old man passed, uh, passed out on the top of steps. turns out he's dead. And also turns out he left like a, a huge collection of art in his, uh, possession when he passed away. She went into the, his room and noticed that he had just incredible, incredible, uh, art pieces throughout his entire apartment. And so basically she kind of steals them and uh, takes credit for them and starts showing them in their show house. And they're basically the new hot, cool thing because it's different mediums and it's beautiful and all this different stuff um, that I don't understand because I'm just a dumb uh, idiot, dumbhead, I guess. So, uh, yeah, you're a dumb idiot, dumb. There's all these yep. stupid relationships of people that I don't like. And Jake Gyllenhaal is super shredded and I don't like him either. And, uh, Basically, they start profiting off this dead man's uh, art. So, about halfway through the film, the art seems to be a little bit weird. Um, almost like it moves because the art's haunted. The man was like a really messed up person. When he was a child, he was abused by his father. Uh, and, yeah, he was abused by his father. And then he killed, he, he killed his grandfather and father, was sent to an insane asylum for 20 years, came back and then used different mediums like blood and stuff to kind of like make the the paint in his his uh his paintings um so basically the the paint the paintings are haunted and anyone who tries to make profit off of his gain or off of his hard work uh is sentenced to death so the only thing that's good about this movie is all these pretentious douches slowly start getting killed off uh let's see here uh trying to think of the interesting ones tony collette puts her hand inside of a big ball that's like an art piece and she gets her arm ripped off uh john malkovich survives uh tom sturridge who plays john don don so that's that's just kind of a uh a microcosm of how much i hate these people's name the guy's name is john don don anyways he gets uh hung and hit one of his art art shows um jake gyllenhaal gets killed by a homeless robot uh in context that makes sense uh let's see here uh Zawe ashton gets killed by uh paint again in context that makes sense uh renee russo uh she the velvet buzzsaw re- refers to her when she was a she was young getting in the industry at first she was kind of like a a punk hot kid getting started off and like this this whole thing is about how she's kind of like going to the wayside these new hot young uh, uh producers are getting involved now she's kind of fading away she was known as velvet buzzsaw in the 80s because it's kind of like her the, the she's kind of punk and alt at the time and the way she dies at the end is as she's just sitting out in her backyard a uh she has a tattoo of a buzzsaw on her neck that says velvet buzzsaw on it and it just activates and just buzzes through the back of her neck the few things that i enjoy about this movie is it does set rules for your, your the bad guy it, it's you know they stick to the rules and you know it's a general horror but i couldn't find myself more happy that all these people were going to die i couldn't find myself happier so when justin i think you've got anger problems they were awful human beings every one of them um i know but you're an awful human sure being. but i'm not like, rich no though one's wishing so you to die oh, when you mix it with that it's fine i see so every person that died i was glad that died there wasn't a single person i was hoping would make it Except John Malkovich, because I really, really like John Malkovich. He's great. but And he survives. So that's all that matters. So, just, the movie's pretentious and uh, 
not scary and not spooky, and you just keep on yourself. You keep on having yourself root for the uh, the paintings to murder people in different ways, which uh, I don't know if that's what they're meant to do, what they're trying to do. But I just I just hated every human in this film. It's just, it's just the worst. First thirty minutes, I just found myself just roll my eyes in the back of my head because it's just pretentious garbage over and over. Um, other than that. Well-designed movie, good acting. Jake Gyllenhaal does a good job of saying manic and crazy. Jake Gyllenhaal's a good actor, um, even though his nose is huge. But uh, overall, like I can't complain about anything else with the movie other than I just hate the story and I hate the people in it. I just hate the actors. Not like the actors, like the the characters. And I just I wasn't I couldn't have been happier to see people die. Um, the only one that was a, a bearable human being was Natalia Dyer's character. And she just kept on finding dead bodies. So I was really sad for her. But, um, yeah. It's Velvet Buzzsaw. I wasted two hours of my life on that. So that's great. Thanks. Thanks, Jeff. What? I'm, I'm sorry. I was totally, uh, was totally not paying attention. Uh, so you ready for you ready for I'm so ready. Uh,. I uh I watched this a couple weeks ago when it first came out. Um I thought it was pretty good. Like I thought it was funny. Um I don't know if it was intended to be funny, but I thought it was funny. Cuz it got funny. more money than me. That's why you found it funnier, I guess. I don't know. I uh, I don't have to respond. I'm, I'm certainly not rich. Professor uh, money but, is just uh, a little step higher than It's a little nice. No, it's, it's a big so, step Okay, anyways. Anyway, uh, okay, so first question from Velvet Buzzsaw. Uh, what kind of relationship do Morph and Josephina have? Uh, is this a line from the movie? Oh, it's a line, all right. It's a line, yep. Well, yep, what the actual line. relationship is, he's gay, has a, has a boyfriend. She had a boyfriend. They... He caught her boyfriend. She caught her boyfriend cheating on him, cheating on her, and then they had like weird bisexual sex together, which I guess isn't weird. But anyways, uh, complicated. I guess would be the best way I could think of. That is incorrect, Dang. Justin. The correct answer is they have a quote taste relationship. They have a taste. Ta- relationship. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they like yep. he yep. likes the same music yep. she likes they, they, and all that stuff, same. and that's. Yep. Exactly. He takes a puff off her vape. Follow up question. Follow up question. Do you and I have a taste? Absolutely, absolutely. I don't think there's no. I don't think there's a question. No, on it's that. not. That's not true. I have good taste, and you have bad. Absolutely taste, not. So. All right. I think that me and you together uh-huh. make a pair. I think maybe we should go watch an alt rock band uh, sip on a vape and then have strange. Anyways, uh, let's go on. Next question. I do like alt rock though. I don't like vaping, but I like alt rock. Okay. Uh, question number two. You you kind of already got this, but I'm gonna throw it out there anyway. Uh, what does Rodora have a tattoo of? Where is it, and what is its relevance? Uh, so she has a like a circular saw on her neck that says Velvet Buzzsaw because when she was in her beginning days, as becoming like a producer or or representative or agent for the art industry. She was like alt rock cool, so she called herself the Buzzsaw uh, when it comes to that. That is correct. Excellent. Excellent. Well done. Well done. Okay. Uh, question number three. So, this movie was filled with all sorts of amazing art. 
okay? Amazing art. All sorts of different mediums, too. You know, you got some paintings, you got some sculpture, you got some interpretive things, uh, you've got some pop art, okay, you got some more classically styled, etc. So, Justin, what was the best piece of artwork that was shown in the movie? The I think piece. it's John Malkovich's in his studio. Um, when John Don Don sees it, and it's just two splotches of color, and that's it. So to me, that's my favorite. I'm afraid that's incorrect. I'm afraid that's incorrect. It was the painting that was of all those monkeys that were working on a oh, car. Oh, yeah. Then it, it took the guy. I, how did you not get this? I thought for sure we would There's be in sync. This is why. We don't, have, we, don't, we don't have a taste for it. There was a lot of cool monkeys in that. Okay. Justin, if, if, if you were to die to a piece of art, how would that happen? And what kind of art would it be? Or if you, and if you have a specific a specific art piece of art in mind, that would be great as well. So can you can you please envision? I'm, I'm I'm stalling for you. Could you please envision your death via piece of art? And could you then convey this creatively and interestingly and entertainingly to the four or five people who listen to the podcast? So uh, what would happen would be the main art that I think is the best type of art in the world is dogs playing poker. Right, so that's that's high shelf top art. Exactly, which is why I was so confused why you didn't get the monkeys yeah. one because it's such an homage. So, anyways, you know? these dogs are playing poker, right? And somehow I find my way because you know there's that one moment where John Don Don is like goes into the painting or whatever it is, right? So I find myself yes. in the painting, and I'm working, I'm playing poker with these dogs, right? And somehow. One of, the, one of the dogs step up and says, this man's cheating. And he flips the table on me, and we have ourselves an old-fashioned bar fight where he starts, like, shooting six shooters and stuff. So somehow it's kind of, like, transported from, like, back of someone's house to a saloon, okay? And we got glasses going everywhere, hitting over top of people's head. I grab a bulldog, slide him down the, 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 the countertop of the bar, you know what I mean? Big old crazy thing. It's almost like that uh, that thing in uh, Universal Studios you see where people are like, flying off the top and all that stuff. And all of a sudden, uh, the Doberman pincer just g- gets me with a uh, six shooters right in my chest. So that's that's how I go. And just it's a glorious death, but it is uh, violent to say the least. So there we go. I'm going to give you half credit, uh, <laughs> 0.5 points, because you picked – I like the dogs playing poker. That was a good choice. I don't know, but the rest of it was just... I, I thought it was good on the like, fly. That's not bad. It sounded like a Michael Bay movie, and I just didn't really want to deal with it. So I'm going to give you half credit. I'm going to give you point five. Okay. Final question, Justin. <laughs> I'm going to be amazed if you can get this correct. What is your favorite artistic style or movement, and can you name an artist from that movement? Um, I like... Oh, boy. Um... So he separates the men from the boys. Uh, I like uh, yes. the uh, Renaissance period. Okay. And I like Raphael's, what is the word, perspective that he would do. Where he's like one of the first artists to create depth in a painting, like almost like a 3D depth. I know this because we went to the Vatican and we saw these things during my honeymoon and they explained it to me and all that stuff. So it's really cool. So I enjoy Raphael's Renaissance uh, uh, period, uh, uh, the depth. I forget the words I already said already about it, but I know I said them right. So there we go. Perspective. Um, I don't know if I want to give you credit for this because you didn't know. 
the name. You named the artist, but I feel like you only knew the artist's name because he's a Ninja Turtle. I mean, I, so. so one of four of those, I was getting to myself an artist. So it's true. I feel like I'll give you, I'll give you point five. All right, yeah, I'll take it. I'll take I'll it. Because man, you, I was really scraping five. the bottom of the barrel. I mean, for you, that. you said a, you said an artist's name, so that was something. So you got two points, two points, I believe, at five. I think that's that's correct. So that's, that's like a, an average. You have We're good. That's We're good. good. That's All right. Good. That's I think that's above average for you. I feel very confident right. with what I've done today. Well. Speaking of confidence, that's the transition. It makes no sense. Uh, speaking of confidence, I want to talk to you about Beauty and the Beast from 1987. Uh, Beauty and the Beast is what Justin assigned me for homework uh, this past week. Now, I remember actually watching this when I was younger. Uh, but I don't believe I watched it. Eh, maybe I did watch it when it came out. I don't know. Maybe I watched it with my mother or something when I was like really young. But Beauty and the Beast was created by Ron Coslow. And it has a writing credit to a little writer by the name... Of George R. R. Martin. Did you know this? Did you know this, Justin? You just intentionally have no idea. Yeah, he was a writer on the show. Uh, so, this aired on CBS for three seasons from 1987 to 1990, and it stars Linda, Linda Hamilton of Terminator fame uh, as Catherine, the daughter of a rich and powerful corporate lawyer in New York City in the 80s. She is also a lawyer, but is a little bit disenchanted. It doesn't seem to like corporate life as much. And after a fight with her boyfriend at some swanky party where she was supposed to be helping him be the good host, uh, she leaves early and in doing so gets attacked uh, by a man or actually by a group of men who mistake her for somebody else. They throw her into the back of a van, they cut up her face and threaten her, and they toss her out in the middle of nowhere, seemingly left for dead. In swoops a young Ron motherfucking Perlman uh, who throughout the entirety of this particular TV show, has no makeup on, which is really strange because normally he has a lot of it. And he plays the <laughs> noble face. He plays the noble beast. Yeah, it's just his normal face. So if you ever want to know what Ron Perlman really looks like without all that makeup. Kind of like a cat. Stuff, he kind of looks like a, like a kitty cat. Like a kitty cat. Uh, he plays the noble beast by the name of Vincent. Uh, so he takes Catherine, having, having saved her, into an underground sewer world uh, called Tunnel World, I think, by some... By some, I mean Wikipedia. Uh, and this is below New York City, where there's apparently this whole uh, world of people. I don't know why they're down there. It doesn't really make sense, to be honest. But let's just keep going with it. Uh, and down there, where there's like a bunch of like weird like Renaissance time era stuff with like weird tunnels and books and also like an astrolabe and all sorts of weird things like that. So anyway, he takes her down there and he tries to nurse her back to health over about a week and a half. I think it was 10 days. Uh, and while down there, he wraps her head that just got cut up pretty bad up in bandages, including over her eyes, uh, which is alarming. But she gets over it really quickly for reasons I still don't understand. He reads her great it's expectations, normal. It's normal, uh, you know? which is a horrible, horrible. I, I hate it. I hate it's normal that someone uh, should be have their eyes and face wrapped up by a stranger and just yeah. be like she oh, wakes okay. up. She wakes up. And she's, she can't see because she's covered, her head, her whole head and face are covered in bandages. And she's like, hello. And he's like, hello. Because he's doing his best to make his voice not sound threatening, um, which is really difficult for Ron Perlman because normally he's a very threatening sounding man. I love Ron Perlman, by the way. All these jokes are, are in love. Uh, but like she gets over it pretty quickly because she's like, is this a hospital? And he's like, no. And I feel like... Right then is when panic should probably set in. Like, wait, it's not a hospital? Oh, my God. What? what? This What? What? Like, what? I don't understand. Like, why are we not at a hospital? Why can't I see? Oh, but you have a soothing voice. 
you're probably not some crazy cat man beast and we're probably not in a sewer it's probably fine everything's fine it's just totally fine um eventually eventually she takes the wraps off after a week and a half i think it's i think it's 10 days i want to say that uh and Catherine uh sees vincent's true face but she's cool with it i mean she freaks out initially but ultimately she's cool with it she's like oh it's cool it's cool it just happens you know I, i've seen worse uh but then she leaves right she goes back up to the surface uh that is something that they kind of both knew was going to happen and so she goes back up to the surface she gets uh plastic surgery to fix the scars on her face and we get an eight month time jump in the first episode uh after about a half an hour i think we had an eight month time episode eight month eight month jump excuse me where she has now left her job her corporate lawyer job and she is now working in the district attorney's office uh where she's kind of going around you know doing law and order stuff right and uh there she the first thing that she does is is like the first case she basically works on is the case of these the guys who attacked her she tries to figure out who they were who they might have tried to attack and in the process of doing so, she uh, she gets another woman killed, and because uh, she tries to, like come testify, and she's like okay, and then here go to this safe house, and then at the safe house, uh, the men track her down. Oh, did you know that one of the, the killers uh, played Donna's dad on that '70s show, which was really weird. I had a hard time dealing with that. Oh, uh, oh yeah, you're right. The guy who was trying to yeah, the, wave yeah, the, 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 the curly guy. hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just did, I didn't recognize him while I was Afro, you know. So uh, yeah. Um, so, so anyway, the end of the episode has her being attacked again by these three guys. Uh, I think it was three guys. And that's when Vincent senses that she's in danger and runs through the tunnels to get to her aid and helps her. And that's the end of the first episode. Second episode, uh, that's where she is dealing with a, uh, a group of people called the Protectors. Uh, the Protectors are uh, a kind of a... hmm. They're, they're part YMCA, uh, <laughs> part LA Fitness. I don't really know. Uh, part old they're folks. Like Guardian home. Angels, uh, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. So basically, there's there's violence going on. It's the '80s. It's New York City, right? There's violence going on, and the cops aren't doing enough about it, and people are tired of being afraid. So, especially older folks. So they go to this place that's run by, uh, but you know, but they're called the Protectors. It's sort of like their name. And they're just teaching self-defense courses and stuff like that. They also recast her her self-defense trainer with Delroy Lindo in episode two, which is sort of interesting. I like Delroy Lindo. Uh, so uh, as the that, as that one progresses, there are a series of attacks that happen along a subway that we're made to think by the magic of television might be Vincent. But we all know it's really not Vincent. And so she begins to question whether or not Vincent might be responsible. But ultimately, she's like, no, nah, it's probably not him. It's probably the leader of the protectors wearing a wearing a cat costume. And that's exactly what it was. It was a leader of the protectors that was that was wearing a cat costume. And then the cat costume guy and Vincent, they have a little duel on this bridge uh and the cat costume guy uh he uh he tries to swing away off the bridge and falls and some say he's still falling today because we never actually see him hit the ground uh so that's beauty of the beast uh from 1987 cbs uh, what do i think of it? it does not hold up it's I, pretty bad I, it's I've pretty talk, bad i've talked about pace like this thing has got quite a, it's got a great cast like linda hamilton and ron perlman i mean i'll take that today still like let alone in 1987 it's got some other great supporting cast members, most notably I already mentioned. It's got Delroy Lindo, who kind of plays a recurring role as her, uh, as her like self-defense trainer or something like that. Uh, it's got a couple other people in it as well. But 
my biggest problem with this show is that it, it just doesn't hold up in terms of, of of pacing. Like I talk about pace from time to time and how certain shows or certain movies kind of outstay their welcome. I just felt like the pace of this show was just it, it felt like an eternity. Like they were forty eight minutes long each episode, but they I felt like they were twice as long. And I and I don't mean that in a good way. You know, I don't mean that like oh geez, this is ugh. I got lost in time. I, no, I was like looking at the clock and hoping it was going faster. It just was very slow uh, to the point where I, I just don't think it was paced particularly well in terms of the action and the conflict that's being presented. Uh, I also felt like there there was a couple like, – the world building was like so hand-waved at times. Like I, just, I don't really understand the tunnel world stuff. Like, all right, there's a sewer system below. There's a bunch of people down there. I get why he's down there. He looks like a freaking cat man. I get that. But why is everybody else down there? Like, why is that where they're at? I, I, I still don't understand. And then there's apparently some sort of magical connection between the two of them. Why? How? Like, I don't know. I just didn't feel like that. I didn't really buy it. Like, it just – That's the thing I didn't really get. It's the hook. We're linked. Know? Like, Why? Just so that this doesn't seem creepy? Is that the whole reason why it happened? I know. And I think, honestly, that's why. Like, otherwise, that would be creepy. She should be freaking out. Like, I don't care which decade it is. Like, if you, like, wake up and you can't see and someone's like, no, you're cool. It's cool. I'm some random guy. You don't know me. Um, Everything's fine. You're fine. Everything's fine. It shouldn't take you a week and a half to kind of rip off your bandages. No, no, no. Everything's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. You know? Like, no. I just... I don't know. Like it really takes a huge leap uh, to uh, suspend your disbelief and, and kind of get on board with the premise. Um, now, in terms of the acting, like I don't. Okay, I love Linda Hamilton. Like Linda Hamilton is because of what she did in the Terminator franchise. Like she she's awesome. And then she was in Dante's Peak, which uh, which you know wasn't good, let's say. But I really like the part where her mother in law jumps into the boiling lake. I don't know why I'm talking about this right now. Uh, Anyway, moving on. The point is, I really like Linda Hamilton, but I didn't really like her in this. I really like Ron Perlman. I didn't like him in this. I felt like Ron Perlman's voice was very, like, he was trying so hard to read softly, like, to, to like, speak his line softly to the point where they just always sound really phony. Um, and I don't know. I just didn't think Linda, Lim, I didn't really, maybe it's because I only see her in, Lim, in like, Terminator that, like, I view Linda Hamilton as a badass, right? And, like, she didn't really... It took a while for her to become sort of a badass in here. And this notion of, like, the protector didn't really work for me. Um, it's got a lot of 1980s stuff in it, you know? It's got kind of some of the music, some of the the, the, the decor. But all of that's, I think, pretty much fine. But, yeah, the only thing that really bugged me about it was just I felt the pacing was bad. And I felt like they didn't do a really good job of selling the premise. Like, they did, a, I think they did a really bad job, in fact, of selling the premise. Now, it did get three seasons. So I imagine... I don't really recall much of this from when I watched it as a, as a young boy. Um, so I imagine it probably got a little bit more robust and fleshed out, the world that is. I, um, I can't speak to it in this particular review because I only watched the first two episodes. But it's not necessarily one I would say go seek out and watch again. But if you're really a big fan of either of the two leads uh, or if you just want to see what George Martin was working on in the 80s uh, before he forgot how to finish a book, uh, then, you know... Um, yeah, give it a try, I guess. Yeah, I guess. It's on Amazon video, by the way. All right, so here we go. So um, when she was, when she had her uh, uh, wrappings on and she's trying to figure out where she was, where did she guess she was and why? Uh, I think one of them, I think it was like Brooklyn because she heard trains. Is that what it was? Yes. So I'll give you this one. She said Brooklyn or Queens because she thought there was an elevated trainway. 
Or Queens, yeah, yeah, yeah. She thought it was an elevated okay. trainway because she didn't realize she was underground. So I'll, I'll give it to you. So I'll give it to you. Right, right. Yeah, look at that. All right, so look first question. What, does, so second question. what does she want done for her in the hospital when she finally gets to the hospital and she gets uh, uh, taken care of? Like, they redo her, uh, her scars and stuff. Which, by the way, I didn't know having that much facial damage would just result in, like, a three-inch scar on the side of your face, nowhere close to everything else. Hey, incidentally, oh yeah, yeah, you're right. That's terrible. Incidentally, I I had to work Saturday morning, uh, and I also, but I was like in my office for a little while, and I watched a little bit of an episode in my office, and then I came home in the afternoon, and my wife was watching Face Off, and I just thought that face. was really interesting. Like there's oh. a face. So what does she want done when she was in the hospital? Because her her like friend comes and says, if you want me to do anything for you, just let, just ask. Whatever you need me to do, I'll do it for you. Right. Um, it was a doctor. I don't think it was her friend. And she said she would like the last chapter of Great Expectations read to her, which is a reference to uh, Vincent reading her Great Expectations. That is absolutely correct. All right. So that's number two. Number three. Uh, why, so in the second episode, when she goes looking for Vincent and she goes underground and she starts banging on the pipes, why did he not go see her? Why? Uh, he sensed her like like her her fear and uncertainty uh so like he didn't he didn't think it was a good time because they have that emotional connection and so she was like all anxious and and, like and uncertain and so that that i guess that's why yeah correct it was their unexplained connection all right so there's number three number four what is the first rule of street fighting uh that there are no absolutely right there are no rules. Who are you talking to right now? And finally, what the hell is wrong with Linda Hamilton? So let's let's talk about this real quick. So, f- whoa! I don't even like the premise of the question. First off, I'm I, okay. I'm gonna let you finish, but Linda Hamilton is national. She, treasure. I'm just she saying. falls in love with a cat man, right? And travels the sewers with him. I think there's nothing wrong with her. Are they in love, or is it just platonic? I don't know. Then she gets. Uh, uh, James Cameron to leave his wife for her. That's the second thing, right? Third thing, she lets her son get raised by a robot for a specific amount of time. What's wrong with her? All right, what's wrong with her mental state where this is all okay? Okay, well, first of all, first of all, she did divorce James Cameron, okay? Like they were married for two years, okay? It was a phase. She got out of that one. Secondly, that robot you're talking about was Arnold Effin Schwarzenegger, and I believe you have a very close relationship, much like Vincent and Catherine have. You and him have this like telepathic connection to the point where I you can sound like him quite wish. often. So that's the second thing. Uh, and then the third thing, I'm not convinced that they were in love. I think they were just close friends. And plus, you know, it was kind of a rebound thing, right? Because she and her boyfriend were kind of not really, they were on the outs and she was sort of disenchanted, you know. So I think it was kind of a rebound thing, right? So there you go. There's my answer. Get ready. Answer's wrong. She's got a lot of stuff wrong with her, okay? She's got mental problems. That is so, needs, that is. Needs okay, to go all, to a mental mean. hospital for the things she's got going on with That's her. ridiculous. That's not true. She went to a mental hospital because she told the truth, man. She told the truth, and then they. This woman her up, clearly right? had and some type of post-traumatic awful stress. Awful things happened to her. Post-traumatic stress from being chased by a robot falls into the arms of a line which man. No one believed. Which no one believed. But then falls into the arms of a line man, right? Second traumatic thing. Someone allows her to just, you know, do the things she does. Have a child with a with a man from the future, 
right? It doesn't make any sense. She should have been, been looked after for the longest time. So I'm sorry, Jeffrey. That person from the future was Michael Bean, okay, who's awesome. Uh, hello, he was in Aliens. I'm sorry, Jeffrey. I'm not going to have. I, can't, I just can't. I can't in good conscience award you these points. This is this is so unfair. You just don't want me to get a perfect score. So no matter what I said, I was going to get it wrong. I feel like this. It's been fixed, a collusion. Someone talked to Commissioner Gordon. All right, Commissioner Gordon. Commissioner Gordon. Uh, yeah, yeah. I talked to him, and he says, uh, "Yeah, for sure, you I'm are." I'm sorry. Bleeding, it's, and it's I not what he told me. Yeah, I get the point. Anyways, that's four out of five, Jeffrey. I'm sorry. We have to. Move on, to, that that's move on to new challenges. <laughs> so, anyways. Uh, okay. You got okay. a new challenge for me, buddy? Okay, buddy. Uh, I would like you to watch the sequel to the to Velvet Buzzsaw called Velvet Buzzsaw 2. <laughs> oh, man. What? And this time, it's a bunch It's a bunch of breakdancers in 1980s who are going through the same thing where various breakdance moves are getting people killed. I, I, would, I, I think like that'd be actually way really better movie than movie. what I just saw. I totally want to watch that movie. Okay, Justin, I actually am going to assign you a comic that is available on Comixology Unlimited. It's one I've been wanting to read for a while, and I'm just going to bust it out and start reading it in between, because I was going to be on campus a lot this week, so I, you know, in between some of my bigger meetings and things that I got going on, I wanted to give this a read. Uh, it's called Abbott. Uh, it's, up on comics, it's up on Comixology. It's by Boom Studios. It's written by Saladin Ahmed. Uh, it's got art by Sammy Cavella. It is about a, uh, a woman... Who goes? It's like sort of present day with a little bit of horror elements going on. Uh, it's one woman's quote: "Search for the truth that destroyed her family." It's a hard-nosed, chain-smoking tabloid reporter, Elena Abbott, investigates a series of grisly crimes that have uh, that the police have ignored. Crimes she knows to be the work of a dark occult force, forces that took her husband from her, forces she has sworn to destroy. So yeah, the uh, so the, the it's on it's on Comicsology Unlimited. Uh, so if you uh, subscribe to that, it's uh, it's free. Uh, otherwise, it costs money. So yeah, that sounds uh, pretty exciting. Uh, my movie I'm giving you just as exciting. Uh, it is an old classic from when I was like ten or twelve called Bushwhacked. Um, it stars the guy that played Harry from uh, uh, the Home Alone movies. I forget what his name is with the p- puffy hair and stuff. Is Daniel Stern. Yeah. So you're gonna have to rewatch Bushwhacked, and we're gonna talk about it because. Uh, What's this on? What's this, this on? on this Amazon, or Hulu? One of the two. Because I saw it, and I was like, what? "Oh my god!" I remember watching this as a kid. I can't wait to make him watch it because it's fantastic. So Bushwhacked. You know the last time? You know the last time you did this, you had us watch Cabin Boy, which was freaking awful. And you, uh, you mispronounced awesome. So I'm gonna let you <laughs> no. take that one back if you want. So. <laughs> Okay, all right. I'll tell you what. I'll take it back if you give me that point you owe me. That bullshit. Anyway, let's go ahead and wrap stuff up. Let's talk about our Twitter handles and all this stuff. Uh, okay, if you want to find us online, you can find us at lollygaggerco.com. You can also catch me up on Twitter at lollygaggerco. Justin's at uh, jbuys. JD Buys. And JD Buys. Uh, he's also up on Twitch, twitch.tv slash jehuva, uh, where he's, he's streaming, I don't know, I don't know what the hell he's streaming. No, I mean, come on. I'm about to stream some Resident uh, Evil here in a week. I'm the two. star of the show. I'm not, are you? Oh, that's right. Gonna be that's su- right. Are you finally going to start playing? A, a spring break or Resident Evil. That's what I'm going to do. I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. Uh, and then other than that, if you uh, if you could be uh, be so kind as to maybe drop us a little, uh, what are those things called? Reviews? Stars? Uh, link? Subscribe? Something? I don't know. Do social media crap and just say we're, uh, we're good. Uh, and if you have any ideas about uh, what we can challenge each other with so that Justin can stop giving me really bad movies from his childhood, uh, hit us up on our social media. Uh, and we'll 
those are your ideas. Justin, um, say something poignant. Again, you, mis- you mispronounced awesome. So, uh, something poignant. Um, life is not without its you know, uh, regrets and losses. So, you need to understand that take every second you have to move forward and enjoy the time you spend with others. Is that good? Dude, shut up. God, that was... Oh, my God. That was so... You know this is like a comedy podcast, right? We make jokes. Anyway. Good night.